I was a skeptic who came to faith through asking hard questions. I'm a longtime Christian whose faith was challenged by hard questions. Whatever your story is, we all ask questions. But some questions are more difficult to answer than others. And some questions keep us up at night. Who am I? Does my life have value? What determines my identity and purpose? Is there a God? Does he care? What will happen when I die? Is it even possible to know the truth? We believe every question is valuable, and we receive every question as a gift. So welcome to the podcast, where we invite you to Ask Away. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ask Away. I'm Joe, And I'm Vince, and you are listening to a special Valentine's edition of the show. And uh, I know everyone is wondering, Joe, what did you get me for Valentine's Day? Well, we're going to be spending Valentine's Day with your parents this year, so I'm giving you some of your mom's home-cooked meatballs for a change. I think after 15 years of being married to me, well, we'd just be glad to get back to the original. So no, no, you're, you're welcome. No, you're they're, welcome. Both, they're, both, they're both great. I have no opinion on whose meatballs are, are, are better. <laughs> You've learned um, something in the yeah. last 15 <laughs> Yeah, there you years go. Again. There's marriage advice there right there. Uh, we have been laughing at how gift giving has you know changed over 14 years. Was it Valentine last Valentine's Day or your birthday when I gave you a hotel night by yourself? It was my birthday. Your birthday. It was <laughs> glorious. <laughs> so it was a the night away. And, you know, <laughs> early, early in our marriage, before we had kids, it would have been, you know, a, a night away for the two of us. <laughs> but in this season of life, it was Joe having a night away on her own with a full 12 hours of sleep. It was truly marvelous. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're yeah, we're excited to dig into just the topic of marriage, dating, uh, singleness. We've been thinking about this a lot more recently than perhaps the few years before that, because we're in a, a church, a home church, and uh, there's quite a lot of college students in our church. And so we've been getting requests to meet up and talk about dating. And boy, dating has changed since we were in college as well. Yeah, and so we were like we're pre-dating apps. That's right. We, we were pre-dating really... apps. So we're trying to figure it all out. But it's actually been really good for us as a married couple as well, because sometimes we're talking to people who are either dating or thinking about dating and we'll sort of make a, a point and then we'll kind of catch each other's eyes and, and be like, oh yeah, like we, we should probably do we that. Should, we should, we should do probably that. take um, that advice. So it's been really good for us and we hope this episode will be uh, of use to you whether you're in a dating stage of life or not, whether that is relevant to you um, or not. We've been reflecting on how sometimes we don't discern well in this area because we have a misconstrued view in the first place of what marriage is and therefore of what the purpose of dating is and therefore of who we should be looking for or even when or whether we should be looking for someone at all. So Joe, if someone's asking themselves, when should I get married? What are your initial thoughts? Yeah, I guess I think we got to take it a step back from that question because I, I mean, I would drop the when. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the real question, first and foremost, should be, well, should I marry? Is is marriage something that I should be aiming for? And I, I think for all of us, really, we've been conditioned by, you know, everything from the films that we watch growing up, the books we read, the expectations of family and community and parents, just to, to be trained to think that marriage and, you know, particularly romantic and sexual intimacy are the goal and the purpose of life. And that if you don't have those things, then actually you'll never be complete. You'll never be fulfilled but I just think from a Christian perspective, that is so far from reality. You know, not to say that those aren't good gifts, but, you know, marriage is spoken about highly in the Bible, but it is not the ultimate thing. You know, if nothing else as Christians, we know that you can live a fully human life full of purpose and love and meaning and significance without being married because the most fully human life ever lived, the life of greatest significance and love and purpose and meaning was lived by Jesus Christ. And he was single. He's right. somebody who, who never got married. So if we think our life is going to be incomplete or lacking that, or that somehow God has, has abandoned us or betrayed us if, if we never wind up getting married, then I think we actually have some really deep misconceptions about what life is all about. I, I remember in college when uh, somebody had just broken up with me and I was really devastated. At it, the was end of that. It, was, it was not me. It was not me for the record. It wasn't Vince. Um, but I was totally heartbroken. And I went to um, one of my close friends and, you know, I think I was just looking for some comforting platitudes in the moment. Like, you know, don't worry, there are plenty more fish in the sea or another bus always comes along or something like that. <laughs> I mean, she just looked me dead in the eye and she said, Joe, God doesn't promise us a partner. He promises us himself. 
Good friend. Good friend, but didn't feel like it in the moment. I'll be honest. I was kind of mad. You know, I, I, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. And I remember that felt like bad news to me. And it was actually only much, much later on, maybe even a couple of years later that I reflected back on that and thought, oh my goodness, God promises us himself. Right. God promises us himself. How is that bad news to me? Why does that feel like settling or like the last good option? Yeah. I mean, in one sense, I think you know, when people long for marriage, they're understanding something about the purpose, which is that the goal of life is intimacy, that, mm. that we are wired for intimacy, that we are made for intimacy, we're made for love, and but we're made for love with God. You know, God is the one who made us. He is the one who is love, we're told in the Bible. God is love. And so all of those longings that we have, that we think a, a human person is supposed to fulfill in us, actually, you know, people are not supposed to be placeholders for that, but we're supposed to look higher and to God. I mean, in one sense, you might say, yeah, of course you should marry, but the person you should marry, according to the Bible, is God. You mm. know, there's this beautiful metaphor of marriage that runs all the way through scripture, through the entirety of the Bible. But actually that, that metaphor of marriage that we're all called to, it's between God and his people, between Christ and his bride, the church. And and so that's what, what we're really aiming for. And, and it's epic and it's huge and it's intimate and it's amazing. It's the one relationship where we can be fully known and fully loved. But I think if we displace that and try and look for that in a person as opposed to in God himself, then actually we're doing a disservice to other people and we're putting an incredible burden on human relationships that they were actually never made to carry. You know, we can't look at another person and expect them to, to you know, solve all our problems or, you know, fulfill all of our needs. Nobody can actually do that. You know, you're great, Vince, but you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> Not um, even close. You know, <laughs> I think it was St. Augustine who said, you know, you've made us for yourself, O oh Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I, I just think that's true. And I think even in the best of human relationships or marriages, if, if you're looking to put on a person what can ultimately only be found in God, you'll still wind up feeling restless and dissatisfied. And you're going to feel like, why doesn't this relationship fulfill me the ways that, that I expected it to? And I think that's when relationships and marriages get into trouble because mm. we put something on them they were never intended to carry, that actually is only God who can know us completely and love us in full anyway. And that's an amazing thing. But but that means he's the goal. Like God is the one we should marry. Yeah, that's so good. You know, and it, it just reminded me of hearing someone talk about, you know, this idea that actually if I put you first, I'm actually going to love you, Joe, less than if I put God first yeah. and then allow my love with him to overflow into our relationship. And it's sort of counterintuitive, but I want to love you as much as I can. And yeah. that actually counterintuitively means not putting you first, because that's the way that God has designed things for our marriage to actually point towards that that ultimate marriage. And the other thing that I think sometimes we don't realize, which I think is really interesting, is that there's a sense in which we're all called both to singleness and to marriage. You know, if we just put together some of what we've already said, we're all called to singleness, at least for portions of our lives, at the beginning of it, for sure, for many of us at the end, if our spouse were to pass away before us, and for some people throughout the middle portion of life as well. And, and then as the church, as you've said, because we are all the bride of Christ, so we're also all, in a sense, called to be married. So it's this whole dichotomy of singleness or marriage is really not the right way to, to frame it. We're all called to both, and both are good, because both point in their own ways to the ultimate marriage that we are created for. Singleness reminds us that we are waiting in hope for our truest companion, God himself. And marriage, likewise, is a season that points beyond itself by foreshadowing and reflecting that ultimate union again with our truest companion. So both are intended, not as ends in themselves, but to spur us on into deeper relationship with God. So a big question to start with, you know, singleness is a gift. It's given to some. How do you know if it is right for you? Yeah. And so <laughs> I, th I think we've got to frame it in terms of what the goal is, right? So if, if if the aim is to get close to God, then actually in different ways, you know, you've said it, singleness and marriage can both do this. Scripture calls them both gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am. Uh, he was single, uh, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So, so he's calling both singleness and marriage gifts there. I think 
I think we get a little bit confused here sometimes. I think people people can start to think, well, maybe the gift of singleness means you have some kind of superpower where you're just so excited to be single or vice versa with marriage as if that just means you're wired for it and it's your heart's desire. And I think we have to be honest that actually sometimes that isn't the case, is it? Like to some people who are single, it doesn't feel like a gift. Some people who are married it doesn't feel like a gift. Hmm. But I think we have to acknowledge when Paul's talking about it here, he's not talking about a special superpower for one or the other. He's actually just talking about the state that you're in. Whatever state that you're in, that is the gift that God has given you. It doesn't mean it's a permanent state. At that time. As you've already said. Um, but that is the gift. And, and so in, in a way, the question of how do I know which one is right for me it's a little bit complicated because that question assumes you're the one who gets to decide. Mm. And that's not always true, is right. it? Wow. The idea of a gift is actually it's something given to you by God. You know, and I think we can be honest that sometimes we can look at someone else's gift and wish it was our own. You know, and there can be a struggle in that. And I also think we need to think about what, you know, what do we mean by gifts? I was reading, um, doing a study on the life of Mary, Jesus's mother recently, and looking at all of the words used to describe her as someone who's highly favored by God and who's blessed by God. You know, you read the opening chapters of Luke's gospel and you think this woman is going to have the easiest, best life ever. (laughs) But then as you read on and you realize how hard her life becomes, particularly Mm. being the one to stand there at the cross, watching her son be killed. and, And you suddenly realize, wow, you know, for someone to be blessed and favored by God doesn't mean their life will be easy. Yes. And, and that helps me when I think about this here as well, that sometimes God gives us gifts, that they are good gifts, but it doesn't mean that they're going to make life easy. And mm. that's true of both singleness and marriage. There are times when singleness can be extremely painful and it can feel very lonely. There are times when marriage can be extremely challenging and you think, my goodness, maybe it would be easier if I was single. You know, a a gift from God doesn't mean it's always going to feel easy. Both in their own ways have challenges. Both Mm -hmm. in their own ways have tremendous blessings. But I think the reason they're a gift is because whichever state you're in, whichever one God has given you, there's an opportunity within it to draw closer to Him. Mm. So I think the real question is just whichever one I have, you know, it's okay to desire one or the other. You know, I know people who, who feel strongly either way about which one they would like. You know, Paul says himself, you know, if you desire to be married, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also recognizing sometimes for all sorts of reasons, it might not be possible that we wind up with the gift that we want. But whichever one we have, there is an opportunity within it to continue to draw close to God yes. and to look to Him. And so, you know, if you're married, there's something about, you know, a, a marriage relationship that humanly, you know, is it symbolic of the covenant of marriage that we have between God and His people. And so there's a sense in which marriage on earth is the closest thing we have that can point to the kind of intimacy we're made for with God. It's a signpost, in a sense, a foreshadowing of something better um, to drive you closer to Him. For singleness, there's there's a gift within that as well, you know, to be able to say, actually, you know, whatever human relationships we have are not ultimate, but we're made for more and we're waiting for more and we're waiting for the day when we, you know, we get to heaven and it's described as like the feast of the bridegroom, you know, yes. that this wedding celebration and there's there's a, a significant symbolism in that as well. And there's a gifting in singleness as well, isn't there? Because, you know, as Paul puts it, your attention isn't divided in mm-hmm. the same way you're less mm-hmm. distracted. Yes. You are able to pursue God in, in a in a more straightforward way in some ways in that sense. So there are blessings and challenges to both, I guess, would be my point. But whichever one you find yourself in, uh, whichever one God has given you for however long it may be, Make God the goal in that, you know, look to how can I in this gift, receive it as a gift and give it back to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in that discernment, one thing I would say is whichever direction you're discerning in to make sure you're motivated by what God is calling you to and not anything you're trying to run away from, you know, in Matthew 19, the disciples say to Jesus, you know, it sounds like it's better not to marry. And, you know, Jesus says, not everyone can accept this word but only those to whom it has been given. So it is given to some, the sense of it being a gift. And then later in the same paragraph, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And I just think it's significant that it's for something. It's for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. It's not motivated by fear or insecurity 
in either direction, whichever direction you discern, but has to be motivated by love. You don't want to choose singleness out of fear that no one will want to be with you or that someone will leave you. And you don't want to choose marriage out of fear that you won't be enough on your own or out of fear of loneliness. God does not call us out of fear, but into love for the sake of the kingdom of heaven to love God and others in a particular sort of way. So, so whether you're pursuing singleness or marriage, pursue it because of what God is calling you to and not because of anything. Thing that you're trying to get away from. Yeah, that's really good. And But I guess the question is, if you are in a sort of prayerful posture and, and you're open-handed before God as to which gift he's going to give you, how, how do you know, you know, say you're sensing, actually, like Paul said, I do eagerly desire to be married. How do you know when you're ready for that or when you should be actively pursuing it versus kind of being in a, in a place of waiting and saying, hey, right, I, I'm not ready right. for that yet. How yeah, you, you, know? you know, the first thing I'd say, and, and probably the most central thing that I would say is definitely don't get married until you're already married. <laughs> um, which, which requires yeah, some quick clarification. <laughs> um, but hopefully it's just memorable to think of it that way. I remember friends before we got married, Joe, you know, I remember a couple friends who maybe, you know, were not of a mindset where they were going to get married anytime soon, kind of asking, aren't you terrified of marriage? Um, I don't think it was a particular comment on you, just sort of <laughs> general comment on marriage, you know. And I remember saying to a couple of people, you know, no, I, I actually I'm not because I've already been married for years. So I know what I'm getting into. And they would sort of look at me with an odd look because, you know, as far as they were aware, I had not been married before. But because I conceive of my relationship with God as a marriage, which is how the Bible conceives of it, I had already been living in a marriage in a very tangible sense and in in some ways with the most challenging spouse of all, God, <laughs> right? Like no one challenges as hard and consistently as he does. No one demands faithfulness and honesty as intensely as he does. Like no one's a more jealous lover than he is. I, I think this is such a blessing of the Christian faith. You know, you, you've kind of alluded to it already, but in other ancient Near Eastern myths, you know, it might have been typical for gods to have other divine lovers, but this idea of God being the lover married to finite human persons, like that's radically new in the Old Testament. Hosea, Isaiah, Song of Songs. It's because, though, that I had been living in that marriage relationship with God that even before I married you, I knew something significant of what it was like for someone to be with me all the time and to know everything about me, even the most shameful things. I, I knew what it was like for my sin to directly affect another person. I knew what it was like to make decisions together with another person and to yield to them and to make sacrifices because they were in my life. And you know, Joe and I specifically knew what it was like because we were married to God to be getting things wrong in a marriage and needing to receive grace. And hopefully that made us more ready to pass on that grace to each other as we stepped into marriage. And so, you know, even on our wedding day, our vows were not foreign to us because Jesus had promised for better or for worse Right? And we're so thankful that he did that. If, if he was only interested in what was better for him, he never would have endured the cross for us. And he promised for richer or for poorer. And that was not just a, a metaphor. Like He literally gave up the riches of heaven in order to enter into union with us. And Jesus is God in the most concrete way, making that most radical wedding vow, all that I am, I give to you. The reason we could grasp the magnitude of the vows we were making to each other on our wedding day, I really think, was because they were exactly the vows that God had showed us how to make by making them to us. We had confidence in the marriage we were stepping into only because of the marriage we were already in. And that made a huge difference as we pursued marriage with one another. I really think that it did. And uh, let me throw it back to you, Joe. Once we start to have a better understanding of what marriage is, what would you say to someone who asks, okay, whom should I marry? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think our starting point here is so often wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I think when it comes to this question of who to date, what's going on in the back of our minds is, is often the assumed question of, well, who's going to be best for me? 
Uh, you know, we see this in the language that's around dating all the time, don't we? You know, we talk about things like, oh, she's too good for him, or, you know, he's way out of her league, or she could do better. You know, he's right. seven, she's a 10. I mean, what, what is she thinking? But the basic premise here seems to be, you know, that there's a scale that some people are better than others. And so we always need to be shooting for the very best that we can hope to get according to, you know, where we come in ourselves on the ranking. The question is, you know, who is best for me? But but if that's your framework, if the starting point is, is, well, who's the best fit for me? Who am I best with? Then it's actually really hard to commit to anyone because I think you're always wondering, what if someone better comes along? You know, what if this person is actually settling when when there's my soulmate is just around the corner? And so, you know, how can I ever narrow down my options in the world of dating, particularly in, in the culture we're in, where you can always swipe to the next person, right? You mm. can always, you know, well, well, let's just check out the next few people before we fix on this one. Yes. And that just makes it really challenging to get anywhere, doesn't it? Because I think in the back of our heads, we're now more aware than ever in this world of just so many opportunities in dating as in everything else. There's that feeling of, but if I say yes to one person, that means that I'm saying no to everybody else. And so I think we really get stuck here because it's being filtered through this sort of fear of missing out, I guess. There's a lot of FOMO. But I just wonder if if actually we're really asking the wrong question. You know, what if we went with a different starting point rather than who is best for me? What if we framed it again from thinking about Jesus? And, and thought of the question, you know, how did Jesus decide to marry? Mm. You know, and what if Jesus had decided by asking that same questions? What if Jesus had asked the question, well, who's best for me? Yeah, wow. You know, who am I compatible with? Imagine if he'd asked that, you know, th- thank God he didn't, mm. right? Because if Jesus approached marriage that way, he would never have married me. Yeah, you know, wow. it, this relationship would not exist. You know, at the end of the day, it wasn't at all about what was best for Jesus. It was about his desire to serve others. And so I think if we're asking that question, you know, is he the best for me? Is she the best? We're asking the wrong question. A better question is, am I good for him? (laughs) You know, is this person the one that God is calling me to serve and to love and to spur on? Are we both good for God together? Um, Yes, we, we want a relationship to be healthy, but we want to ask, has God gifted me uniquely to serve this person? Who is God calling me to bless? And and does the person that you're pursuing actually come alive because of your presence in their life? Do they become mm. more like Christ? You know, one of the ways that I actually realized that Vince was a good fit was because he seemed to be more for me than I even was for myself. The way he approached dating <laughs> really shocked me because he just didn't seem to be about himself at all, but he, he was my greatest champion and cheerleader. He, you know, he never tried to, to change me. He wasn't pushy, but he was so committed to me becoming everything that God had made me to be, to become the woman that God had crafted me to be. And, and he was absolutely committed to playing his part in assisting me into that, not by nagging or criticizing, but by encouraging and supporting and you know, speaking truth and life into areas of my life where I'd got stuck in condemnation and lies and just creating these spaces and opportunities for me to become who it seemed God was was calling me to be. And you know, it just made me think of Romans 8, verse 29. This verse talks about that the ones who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, as Christians, we kind of understand that to be our purpose in life, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And what I loved when I met Vince was it seemed that he was so committed to that for me in my own life, you know, to help me be conformed into the image of God's son. He was all about helping me become that. And and the more I saw him do that, the more I thought, oh, that's what I want to be for him. How can I do the same? He's mm. loving me so graciously in this way. How can I respond the same way? So it, it kind of flipped everything. It wasn't about what could we get from each other, but it was so much more about what can we give? How can we serve? How do we help one another conform to Christ? I think what you said before, Joe, about how did Jesus decide who to marry is just so critical, you know, to think that if he asked some of the same questions that we ask, he never would have married us. Yeah, I just want to sit with that for a moment because we need to make sure we're not taking an approach to dating that if God took, he never would have married us. If we do that, then we're, we're actually in opposition to the gospel. And, you know, the wonderful thing about this gospel vision for marriage that Jesus lays out for us is that it means marriage is not about what we deserve, which has been such a blessing in our marriage. You know, I remember we tell that story about, were, were we just dating or engaged when when you looked at me and said, Vince, I don't deserve you. 
think we were dating. <laughs> dating, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, maybe you were fishing for a couple compliments. I was definitely you know? fishing for a couple. <laughs> fishing compliments. for a couple compliments, and and the the it just came out of my mouth. I just said, no, you don't. <laughs> Not the uh, sort Rude. of recommended response, you know, but. But I continued and I said, no, you don't and I don't deserve you either. Isn't it wonderful? And I just think that's been such a blessing to us because it means that we can rest. Like we don't need to worry that someone better is going to walk around the corner one day. Because even if they did, I don't think it would register for us because <laughs> yeah. we, we just don't think about each other in comparative terms. Right. You know, neither of us deserve each other. How could one human being, sinful human being, deserve another human being in the image of God, you know, as their very own? Like, surely that's beyond what any of us could deserve. Uh, but therefore, our marriage isn't some sort of ranking. Yeah. It's not a ranking system that we can lose. You know, it's a gift, and therefore, it's ours for good. And that means we can stop competing to be loved and just enjoy it. Uh, and I think sometimes we miss this. You know, we know that our relationship with God is based on grace, and yet sometimes we still treat all the other relationships in our life as if they are some works-based competition. But the gospel is not just that relationship with God is based on grace, but it's an invitation for all of our relationships to be founded on grace. As we receive grace from God, we in turn extend it to others. We treat others with the grace that we've received. Right. And the awesome thing about having a foundation of grace is that it allows for something really important, which is that marriage is founded on things that can be unchanging. Because you can run into big problems when we we make timeless vows to each other, but we make them based on things that will inevitably change over time. Like if you marry someone for their looks, you're in trouble, right? None of us are going to look the same in 30 years. It's been 15 this year. We don't look the same. Yeah, forget 30. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it's downhill from here. Um, you know, we don't. No one stays the same, do we? You know, life experiences form us, you know. So much changes us. It's not just looks, but, you know, what you do for work, the communities and friendships that you're a part of. Kids, having kids changes everything mm. about the dynamic of your relationship. The crises and the hardships that you go through, financial challenges, changes and in situations, you know, so much in your life is going to change. You will not remain the same people that you were on the day that you said your vows to each other. But if you're getting married because God has called you to serve someone and he says that that call is for a lifetime and that he's going to provide everything necessary for you to live it out for a lifetime, he'll keep giving you that grace, pouring it out into your life, then that can remain unchanging, even if people do change, because it's not based on circumstance. It's not based on, you know, how does Vince change or not change over the years? Or how do I change or not change? You know, it's based on God whose promises and vows are unchanging and his grace that he keeps on extending to us every single day. Mm, yeah. And, and that's why I've been really challenged by, you know, a few of our international friends yeah. who have had, you know, arranged marriages in a sense need to be careful here, but, you know, right. they very much had like willful, you know, decision over who they married, but it was still very different than the way we tend to do it Yes, in America, yeah. <laughs> you know, or in the West, maybe more generally, you know, uh, families identifying, you know, people who might be a good fit for one another in some sense, uh, involving the community and the family much more in the discernment process. But possibly only meeting a few times with the person that, that they were going to marry and then, you know, making a decision, a willful decision to move forward into that marriage. And we have oftentimes found some of those marriages to be strong and healthy. And I think part of the reason is what you're saying, Joe, that in the best case scenario, in that sort of situation, part of what that can speak is actually we're concerned about the things that are unchanging and those things are from God. Right. Like, like we don't need to kind of like date the field and check everyone out to see if there's somebody that's a little bit better looking or somebody that's a little bit more uh, compatible with me. Actually, like, you know, I know this person has a serious faith. I know that God is making these vows with us. I know that if we make that decision to step into that union, it's not about the ever-changing circumstances of life. It's about God's unchanging character and what he promises he will provide. And if you are really surrendered to that and really relying on that, I really do believe that God will give what you need for every challenge of marriage. And it's just been interesting to see some of those friends look at us and go, 
you guys are the ones who do it really weird, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Like, so you just you just find somebody on an app and just like have a date with them and you don't know their community, you don't know their family, they don't know your community, you don't your, know your family, you do the vast majority of your discernment about whether you guys are right for each other, just kind of on your own independently and then it doesn't work out, you just kind of like move on and now you got all these emotional scars and now you've dated like a dozen people before you find someone and you're carrying all of those scars into your into your marriage. It was really challenging to think, whoa, like they do things, some of our friends, very differently. Uh, but if it's founded on what God brings to the table and not us trying to figure it out and manifest it ourselves, there can be something really healthy in that. Yeah. All right. So if we get to the point now where someone's thinking uh, they do want to date, there's a sense that maybe God has marriage in front of them. Uh, when would you say is the right time for someone to start dating? Yeah, so I guess it's about, you know, needing to know where you're headed and why you're heading there and before you can plot out a good route, right? Like you've got to know what's the destination. And so when you know what marriage is about, when you know what the end goal of dating is, then you're able to make a good decision about how and when to date. And particularly when, you know, it's been said, but when we understand marriage isn't about filling some void in in our lives, that's God's job. Um, but it's also not about getting a life upgrade. It's actually that sacrificial call to serve another person. Like that is the framework. You know, I think then when in, you're in the context of a friendship and you begin to feel a particular longing to serve another person and you've built up enough evidence that your presence and service in their life helps them to be more of who God has created them to be, those are all good signs that this could be heading in a good direction. And then if you begin to feel a desire in particular to count the cost of pursuing relationship with that person. You know, we had a friend say the other day that a value is only a value if it costs you something. So that was a really uh, profound line, actually. You know, we think about dating as just receiving, but actually it's supposed to come with a cost. I mean, think about the cost it came with for Jesus, you know, to say yes to us. And, and, and you know, recognizing there is that sense in which, you know, part of the cost is you are saying no to everybody else, but, but also you're saying no to the ease of a life you know, that comes without that person. There are certain ways you can be, you know, more self-centered when you're you're just on your own. Mm. You know, there are sacrifices that that may come with choosing to be married. You know, it's part of the reason I think you know, some of the statistics we're seeing about why people aren't getting married as much today. You know, when you're hearing what, some of the decisions younger people are making and in terms of not choosing marriage, it's partly because they're they're recognizing actually the truth of, of the cost of it, of actually that you know, it, it, it does impact your career, that it does impact your location, that, that um, you know, you may even wind up living in another country. You may even wind up living in America if, mm. you, you know, if, you, if you're willing to count the cost. And, and, and so I think there's just this recognition, um, you know, rightly so, that there is a cost to choosing marriage. But, but rather than running from that, which is what a lot of people are doing today, they're saying, oh, this is too costly. Right. I don't want to do marriage. I'm going to aim for, I mean, you know, you hear the phrase now, don't you? Situationships, like let's just do something temporary with the understanding it comes with a sell-by date that, you know, there is going to be an, an end date to this relationship. But it's just, you know, it, it's a temporary pleasure for the two of us, but mm -hmm. but we're not going to make those long-term choices because actually they seem too costly. Right. Actually, it, I mean, I think they're sensing something right, that marriage is supposed to cost you a great deal. You know, that true love is sacrificial. The best love, you know, is sacrificial. That's what we see in Jesus Christ, isn't it? It is actually going to cost you everything to truly lay down your life to love somebody else. But I think that's actually you know, a call to be excited about mm. rather than something that's a reason to, to run the other direction. Yeah, you know, and this is one reason why I see a real challenge in, let me put it this way, at least the way that a lot of people use dating apps. And I'm not trying to say, you know, that's evil and that can't work well. I've got really good friends and really healthy marriages who who met in a way that seems healthy you know, online. So I'm not making some sort of sweeping statement like that. But if part of what you're looking for is, you know, do I sense this calling, this leading from the Lord to sacrificially serve the other person? I think one of the challenges, at least, is that, you know, if you just see someone online and you read a couple of things about them, and then all of a sudden you're sat across from them at a dinner table on a date. And before you you know, basically have any evidence about whether God might be drawing you in that way towards a sacrificial service of this person, 
all of a sudden you're, you're already there. You're already at the dinner table. The emotions and the attachments are already being elevated in really intense ways. Whereas if that same person, you know, was worshiping in your church community, like you might have observed them for months praying, worshiping, serving mm -hmm. others, just having good conversation in the context of the community. And then by the time you're actually sat across someone on a date, you have a much better starting point, I think, and, and perhaps more confidence about where it can yeah. be headed. So no sweeping statement there, but just something to take seriously and, and think about. Now, you know, however you find someone, one of the biggest questions that we get is, who should I date? Like, what are the specific <laughs> criteria <laughs> that I should have on my spreadsheet, <laughs> my Google Doc, you know? Um, and, and based on my experience, I would say I really went through a journey on this. And, uh, you know, one way I put it is, is to reject the Christian test in the sense that I think a lot of times people have some list of, you know, 20 characteristics, maybe more, you know, that they're looking for. And, uh, you know, that someone happens to be a Christian is like number 14 or something, you know? It's just like one of the 20 characteristics that's significant and then almost kind of like, is this person saved? Are they a Christian? You know, are they a believer? Yes, okay, we can check that box. Now we move on to kind of the other elements. And I remember a specific conversation that I had. It was a group of us in a car, a couple guys, a couple girls in college. We actually headed down to a missions trip, so a Christian group. And somehow the topic of dating came up and I turned to one of the young women, a couple years older, and, uh, and I said, well, what do you look for in a guy? And, uh, you know, I kind of like mentally had my notepad out and I was like, this is great. She's going to give me like 20 things. I'm going to take all my notes. You know, <laughs> I'm getting like the inside scoop here. And she just, she looked me uh, like dead in the eye and she said, an awesome heart for God. <laughs> like, Full period. stop, period, right? Like the way she said it was, you know, and I, I kind of yeah. like waited for a bit, like, okay, all right, cool, cool that. That, cool that that's number one, <laughs> but what about the other 19, you know, um, points? And, and that was all she was saying. And it really had an impact on me. And I found over time that I kind of started with all these things in my head and that list just got narrower and narrower, but also deeper and deeper. And, you know, in, at the end of the day, really what I was longing for, if it was in God's will, was somebody who loved him deeply, who loved his church deeply, uh, and who might even love me uh, deeply. You know, there's so much else, you know, that that's just pales in comparison to those three things. And so I would look in that way, an awesome heart for God, and maybe one other way to say it is just someone who is fully surrendered to God, not just someone for whom you could check off that box and say, yeah, they're a Christian, but are they fully surrendered to God? Nothing off limits to him. You need that surrender in marriage because you do not know what's coming. You have no idea what's coming in your life. You have no idea what God might ask of you. Just read through the Bible and see the things that he asked of people unexpectedly. You have no idea what he might ask of you, and you do not want to wind up caught between the will of God and the will of your spouse because those two things are not aligned if he or she is not fully surrendered to God. So make sure that the first thing that you look for is someone who is fully surrendered to God, and you know in your heart if God asks us to do something, then this person's going to joyfully, even if it's painful, say, yes, that is what we will do. Yeah. I'm so glad your list of 20 criteria got whittled down to three because I'm pretty <laughs> sure the other 17, I was not coming up strong. <laughs> no way. You know, no, not a chance. Not a <laughs> like, I do, you wanted an athlete, that wasn't going to be me. Anyway, <laughs> but what Vince has just said about having an awesome heart for God is just so relevant to this question of whether Christians should date non-Christians. And People get really stuck on this. It's it's not that there's some kind of arbitrary rule here. I think you can hear that. And sometimes people hear that as so judgmental, like you're saying, well, no one else is good enough. But it's not about that. It's not about saying some people are better than other people. It's not about who we shouldn't be looking to date. It's about who we should be looking to date. Because if Jesus has his rightful place in our lives, if we think the whole purpose of life is to get to know God and to fall more deeply in love with him, if, if he is the lens through which 
everything about us and where we're headed makes sense, then it's actually only natural that we're going to need to be able to share Jesus with whoever it is that we're dating. Yes. It's, it's super uncomfortable if one person thinks that there are two people in your relationship and then it turns out there are actually three. Mm. I mean, you know, that isn't, that's an awkward conversation. You know, if you sign up for just the two of you, that's going to come as a bit of a shock. But, you know, at the heart of a Christian relationship, God is there. You know, in a very real sense, Christ is at the center of a marriage between a Christian man and a Christian woman. And, you know, so if the goal of intimacy within your marriage is actually to be helping each other, to be constantly moving closer to God, if, if one person in the relationship doesn't even want God in that in that marriage, in that relationship, it's just not going to work. You, you're aiming in different directions. You know, if Jesus is how you define your life, if he's central to your life in that way, then it doesn't make sense to be with someone who's going on a different trajectory. I can remember there was a point in my life when I was dating somebody who who didn't really want Jesus at the center of their life in the way that I did. And I can remember at the time someone someone prayed for me and they just shared how as they were praying, they what came to mind was like a picture of a three-legged race, you know, like on a field sports day or whatever. I don't know what you call that in America, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like a school sports day when, you, you know, you're tied together to someone else and you're in a race and you have to run together. And But their point was like, not only in this relationship are you running at a different stride, but actually like... You know, if you're tied together with somebody who doesn't love Jesus when that's what you're trying to do, you're actually running in opposite directions. Mm. It's like they were going left, I was going right, and you're pulling opposite ways. You're just going to land in a heap. Like it just, you're not going anywhere. You know, there's a sense in which if you don't understand Jesus, you you can't understand me. Like Mm. Mm -hmm. my life isn't going to make sense to you. And so, of course, I actually need to date or marry someone who's able to understand me. Right, right. Yeah. And and related to that point, I want to fulfill my wife's every desire you know <laughs> I, I do but the the only way that i can fulfill your every desire joe is if your every desire is jesus <laughs> you know like that's the only way i've got a shot you know if if you feel that every one of your desires can be fulfilled in jesus then i can continually point you to him Right. If I'm trying to fulfill those desires myself, then then I can't fulfill that desire of my own to fulfill your desires because I don't have a chance. But if you are someone who surrendered to Christ and truly believe that that he is everything, then I can just continually point you to him. Yeah, that's good. And speaking about our desires, you can't really talk about dating, can you, without saying something about physical attraction. In oh, we're going to go there? Yeah, we're oh, going boy. There. We're going there. Okay. How does that desire play into things? You know, because we're embodied beings, right? So it's always going to have a part to play. It's always going to be important to us as human mm-hmm. beings. But I just want to be really clear here. I, I think physical attraction is important, but I think it should primarily be the result of relationship rather than the basis for relationship. You know, and I've always loved the fact that when you when you read the book of Genesis and talk about the creation of the world and you know we're repeatedly told God saw that it was good at the end of every day God saw that it was good but but one thing I love about the Hebrew there is that that same word in Hebrew tov it actually also has a secondary meaning which means beautiful. You know, the sense being that you know it's not just good but good and beautiful that these two things hold together. And I think that's really significant because I, I think that's how we should think about physical attraction and beauty as well, that actually goodness and beauty kind of belong together. You know, that that I think it's a very Western notion just to sort of, uh, or a modern idea to really see them as distinct or yes. to think you can be like, physically beautiful or attractive without being good in some way. Right. You know, and I think our language, we do serious disservice to people when we use the words like hot, like when you call somebody hot, you know, because you're not making any comment on their character, you know, the comment on appearance that is completely disconnected from who they actually are. And that's what makes it objectification. You know, I wrote a PhD on, you know, beauty in the Old Testament. It used to drive me mad when people come and ask me the question, well, who's the hottest woman in the Bible then? Never ask me that question. Because it's just not a a category that the Bible talks about Mm, people in. There's not a single woman in the Old Testament who's called ugly or in the New Testament. It's just not, it's not language that is is used to describe the way that people look. It's just, it's just not a category that, that women are being, you know, examine through in that sense. And and so, you know, I just, I just think there's something about that, that 
good and that beauty. And even the way language comes together in the Hebrew there, that, that is so rich because one illuminates the other. You know, I would say like my attraction to Vince, it is very physical, but it's illuminated by, you know, who he is. We, we joked earlier that 15 years in, like everything goes downhill. <laughs> But, you know, that beauty of attraction, because it starts from the heart, actually, it means that I can find him more attractive as the years go by every year because I know who he is. Mm -hmm. And so I see who he is shining through all of it, right? Like the little things that, you know, would mean nothing else to anybody but me. But to me, they mean so much. Like I love the random freckles on his shoulder or, you know, the way he talks with his hands or the way when he laughs, his nose really crinkles. Those are infinitely precious. (laughs) But those things are, they're infinitely precious to me because they're his, right? And, you know, and in them, I, you know, I see who he is shining through the way that he moves through the world with strength and conviction. I see his joy and his kindness. And so, yes, it's physical, but it's not on the basis of some random, like worldly standard of what is hot and what is not, you know, but on the fact that, you know, those are the physics of him, yeah, and thank God for that because you know apparently your nose and your ears don't stop growing, so you know <laughs> you've got you've got that to look forward to. <laughs> so okay, uh, let's push a little deeper into this. If you're single and open to marriage, here I think is a really hard question worth wrestling with. It was really actually significant for me in a season to wrestle through this question. Are there people who you wouldn't date because they aren't good looking enough? And be honest with yourself with the instinctive answer of your heart, because for most people, the answer to that question is yes. And that is true inside or outside of the church. But as far as I can tell, and if you if you disagree, you know, at the end, you can write into us and we'd love to hear it and be challenged. But I just don't think that that's a Christian answer. I don't think that is a biblical answer. Like It really seems to me like that is us being enslaved to the world standards and us showing favoritism, which the Bible speaks against, you know, so strongly. And, you know, it bothers me uh, when, you know, all the good looking people wind up with all the good looking people, like in terms of what our culture says is good looking. And and the people who aren't as good looking tend to wind up with the people who aren't as, you know, good looking. And and we find it so odd, you know, Joe said it before, like, oh, there's a seven, why'd they wind up with a 10? You know, we find it so odd if that happens. And that seems to me so fickle, you know? God is not constrained by our random cultural perceptions of what counts as good-looking and what doesn't. I mean, sometimes that, like, complete opposites from one region of the globe to another region of the globe, whether being bigger is beautiful or whether being thinner is beautiful. But sadly, this doesn't appear to be any different in the church. We seem to be constrained more by the cultural perceptions of our time and place than by this union of goodness and beauty that we see in the biblical terminology and and the biblical vision. And so in, in my opinion, uh, you know, physical attraction is something that should primarily come after you're attracted to someone's character and faith. You know, there may be that instinctive attraction before, but the primary lasting physical att- attraction comes on the heels of that. You find yourself attracted to someone's awesome heart for God and for others. And then, and then all of a sudden, you really like the way the person walks. You find her posture appealing, her smile, you know, her voice becomes attractive, her mannerisms, you know, all of these things. And again, as Joe has said, don't get me wrong, this is a very physical attraction. I'm not being a Platonist here and saying the physical isn't important. Just look on the inside. It's all spiritual. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that it is imperative for our physical attraction to be a godly physical attraction, one that actually can increase over time. And that's going to be a challenge as we get older if we don't have this right. So uh, what if your wife or husband were to get severely disfigured? You know, would you just resign yourself to being less attracted to them? No. Uh, You know, here's a crazy thought. What if they just got older, right? Like, no, we're not going to just resign ourselves to being less attracted to a person. But but the way that we have found physical attraction has worked in the context of our marriage is as we have gotten to know each other's character, each other's faith, the more deeply we have, the more those things have become symbolized in the physical aspects of what we see in each other. The smile, the crinkled nose, Joe's ears. I got to say something about her now because she said about me, Joe's ears that wiggle when she smiles, right? Like I, I love that, right? And there's something even about her character that gets symbolized in the way she physically operates in the world. And that's an attraction that can be lasting no matter how many years we're together. Yes, my ears will always wiggle. 
Yes. Um, but I think we need to be really serious about this and really honest about the struggles here because our whole lives we have been conditioned to see the world and to see people a certain way. And we're constantly, constantly being fed, you know, imaging everywhere, saying there is a standard of beauty and that we need to measure up against it ourselves and we need to measure everyone else against it as well. And, and it becomes addictive, doesn't it? I mean, it leads to not only the, you know, the way that we see the people around us, but it leads into pornography. It need, leads into all kind of addictions that we get into about physical attraction and physical appearance. And we need real hot work here and we need real help here, particularly if we want to have healthy relationships with other people. And, and I think that requires first and foremost, complete honesty and vulnerability. Like if you are struggling in this area, if you're struggling with pornography or other ways of distorting the place of physical attraction in a faithful relationship, you know, we've really got to face that and we have to bring it before the Lord. But you also need to bring it up in the relationship that you're in because it so easily becomes a form of unfaithfulness to the person that you're with. And it's really important that, you know, if, if you're talking about, think about marrying somebody, you know, it, Paul even talks in the New Testament about our bodies belonging to one another, about becoming one flesh in a really deep sense. And so you need to share with somebody what you're doing with your body, because that's going to be their body someday. Right, right. Like they're literally going to own your body. They have a right to know how you're using it and what you're doing with it, whether it's, you know, with your eyes or, or anything else. And so I, you know, I just think this is really key for us, you know, we, we sort of pretend we don't have problems in this area or, or we think, well, now I'm dating somebody, like that'll solve my problem, right. right? Like that'll solve my pornography problem because I can just put that person in the place of this addiction. It doesn't work that way. Yes. Like if you can't be faithful outside of a relationship, then how are you going to be faithful in it? Like marriage doesn't fix porn problems. <laughs> like yes. only God can fix these things. That's like right. we only he is able to actually deal with these addictions. They may go away for a time if you stick someone else in the place of them. But when you come to it, struggles in your marriage or a challenging time, you'll just fall right back into it if you haven't actually dealt with the root of it. So all of these things about how we see the world, about how we see other people, what's even been wired into our brains through the things that we've been watching and how that has formed us. Some of this stuff goes really, really deep. Mm. And we have to be honest about that because it's increasingly problematic in our culture. It's increasingly easy to access. It's increasingly impacting people's relationships and their marriages. And so I think we really need to have some honest conversations about what the impact is on us and how we get free and, yes. and, and what freedom actually looks like and what faithfulness looks like. Yeah. And, and just one additional thought on what you've said is, you know, if you're thinking about entering into a, even just a dating relationship with someone, I actually think you need to, if you're struggling with something like pornography or, or an addiction of some sort that's re related to sexuality, like I think, I think you need to disclose that early Yeah, because I think a person has a right to know yeah. if there's someone who's dating as a Christian, seeing this as something that ultimately would, would be a pursuit or a hope, you know, of marriage, even in that early stage, I think that they have a right to know as they take those initial steps, because it's not fair to someone to just sort of ease into the relationship. I'm not going to share this for a while. Now, all of a sudden, the emotional attachments are really strong, but all potentially under the assumption that th this significant thing is not there. And then by the time someone gets to the point where they're discerning about marriage, all of a sudden you're throwing a big wrench into a situation that already has a lot of emotions and attachments, you know, related to it. So I would just say that person, if it is the right person for marriage, Joe and I confess things to each other early in our dating relationship, and I think we had more trust uh, from each other, and we earned more credibility, you know, with each other because we shared those things early on and didn't just, you know, hope that, look, if we just you know, are in a relationship for a year and the emotions get intense enough, then kind of the person won't want to step out of it. So now yeah. we can share this thing. Do the right thing. Share it at the start. Trust that God can, if it's right, bring forgiveness out of confession uh, and move forward in that way. The other thing I would say is just to say, we all need to take this seriously and we are all complicit in the sexual immorality that is absolutely plaguing our society and the church. And so I'm not looking down my nose at anyone. None of us should be doing that. All of us should be asking, how am I complicit in what's taking place, even more so in such a visual time, in a social media time? You know, it's devastating. And we are blind to some of the ways that we contribute. Uh, you know, it was just not long ago when I was watching a show on Netflix and I can't even remember what show it was. 
And, you know, two people started kissing on the show. And, you know, I wouldn't normally think that that was a big deal. And all of a sudden it hit me. Like, these two people are married to other people. Yeah. And it, like, smacked me in the face because I was like, how did I not even think? How do I not even think about that? Well, I just get drawn into watching something. And here are these people having, like, a pretty passionate, you know, kissing scene and they're married to other people. And I'm not trying to make some sort of big statement about what's right and what's wrong here. I'm just trying to make a statement about myself that as a Christian, I don't think it's okay that I have watched innumerable right. episodes where that takes place. And it hasn't even clocked for me. Whoa, that's something to think really seriously about. I am paying money for a subscription yeah. in order to receive entertainment by two people who are married to other people Kissing each other. Like, okay, I got to take that to prayer and maybe I got to make some different decisions about how I spend my money and how I use my time. We, None of us are apart from this plague that is happening and uh, we all need to take it really seriously, how we're involved, what our responsibility is moving forward. Yeah. I mean, that's a good segue into in this area and in all areas, it's a good question to always be asking, like, how am I complicit? <laughs> and what what are the things I need to own up to and to say sorry for? I, I would just say this in terms of thinking through who, who do you date? Who do you marry? Maybe for me, this might be the biggest character thing that I would want to look for is, are you with somebody who actually is able to be repentant, I guess would be the the way I would put it. You know, we've all heard the phrase, haven't we? Love means never having to say I'm sorry. I mean, biggest lie ever, right? Just the biggest lie ever. Terrible. Just so unhelpful. Jesus said the exact opposite. You know, he said, it's the one who's forgiven much, who loves much. Mm. You know, it's it's when you've been forgiven much that you love much. And, and so I just think fundamental to who you want to date is somebody who understands themselves at the very core of who they are to be a forgiven person. <laughs> that being absolutely fundamental to their identity. And, and I think we can kind of lose sight here because often when you're dating somebody, you're in this kind of season of like rose-tinted glasses, never argue. You know, when there are tensions, you sort of sweep them under the carpet and 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 then it can be only when you get married that mm. suddenly you start, you know, things start coming up that you didn't expect. You're living with someone in a different way. You're doing relationship in a much more intense way. And suddenly there are areas of conflict in your life that you may not have experienced in your dating relationship. And, and at that point, it suddenly dawns on you, oh my goodness, it's really important that we know how to do conflict. But often it's the area that we're worst in and the area that we're least practiced in yes. in our relationships. And you know, one way to think about it is marriage is a, is a decision about who you want to do conflict with for the rest of your life. <laughs> because there are always going to be areas where you're going to see things differently and disagree and you're going to get things wrong. And, and sometimes you need to challenge each other. And so who do you want to be in that with? And so many marriages fail, I think, because we just never learn how to do conflict well. Uh, There's a friend of ours who shared with us a while back that when she'd asked her mom as a a child, you know, what should I look for in the the man that I want to marry? That her mom had responded, look for someone with a listener's heart. Look for someone with a listener's heart. I remember thinking like, that is just such, such good advice for life. You know, somebody who who's actually able to really hear what you have to say, who doesn't just instinctively respond defensively. If you raise something that's hard to hear, their instinct isn't to contradict you or to shut you down or to ignore you or to pass over you, but who really, really listens and particularly can listen to if you're bringing a challenge um, or if you're saying something hard or something that might you know, bring them to conviction. And perhaps one way to think about this in terms of relationships, just one really practical piece of advice that we we try to implement in our marriages is to never stop at just saying, I'm sorry, because I'm sorry. Like, I mean, you know, yeah, at first it sounds good. Okay. You said you're sorry. That's great. But actually sorry in itself, it doesn't give up control, does it? It's just a statement of how you feel. You know, it doesn't really make you vulnerable. It doesn't really require that you humble yourself before someone else. In fact, sometimes I'm sorry, depending on the tone you say it in, but it could actually be a very defensive thing. Like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, like, you kind of shut it down before you have to have the conversation or really own it. I said, I'm sorry. So you got to let it go. But, but actually it doesn't really do the work, does it? So perhaps instead of saying, I'm sorry, one thing you can say is, is just to ask for forgiveness instead to actually live out the gospel that, that you both know already, you know, it's only when you've humbled yourself before God and really asked for his forgiveness that you begin to know true relationship and true life. And so 
bring that same principle, that same gospel into your marriage by regularly humbling yourself before each other, looking each other in the eye, not just saying, I'm sorry, but saying, will you forgive me? Then having to vulnerably wait for a response is such a different experience, but it's such a powerful thing to have that at the center of your relationship. And, you know, and then when you hear somebody ask that of you, your spouse ask that, will you forgive me? just to be reminded of, of, of how God responded to you when you asked him that question <laughs> and to be reminded mm. of his like lavish, unconditional forgiveness that he's given you and, and that overflowing love and grace that he has shown you. And then to be able to pull that out on somebody else, it's, it's such a powerful thing. So I would just say, when you're thinking about who to date, one really good question to ask is perhaps, you know, when have I ever seen this person truly repent and ask for forgiveness? You know, if you can't think of an incident where you've actually seen them respond to a challenge yes. or conviction by really owning it and really apologizing, then that actually might be a big red flag. Mm. You know, a lot of people, you can point to all sorts of things about their character where they look really great on the surface or, you know, really humble or, you know, all sorts of things that look great. But have you seen them say sorry and like yes. really mean it and right. really live into it? And if you haven't, just be really cautious because that's going to be such a key part of your marriage. So if it's not present in them, it's going to be very challenging. You know, so much of marriage about conforming to the image of Christ is that it becomes a process of iron sharpening iron. You know, we, we was, Vince used to talk all the time about how marriage shines a spotlight on your sin. <laughs> like, you know, it really shows up all the things in your life that you were blind to. That right. suddenly someone else sees all of it and you see it. And it, it gets really ugly at times, like, oh, I can't believe it's this bad and this ugly and all of these things I never even saw about myself. But so you need to be able to be with someone who can look at those things and not feel threatened and shut down or live in denial, but actually who's excited by the opportunity to grow, to repent, to become more like Christ, to hear the challenge and doesn't see it as a threat, but yes. actually as, as a gift, right. as a gift. Right. Yeah. Because I don't care who you're marrying, you're marrying a sinner. <laughs> Right. And uh, yeah, I actually think it's one of the most significant things that we did in our marriage when we, you know, banned I'm sorry <laughs> from from the relationship and said, actually, you know, again, not to make a sweeping statement like that, you know, phrase is always wrong, but we just found for ourselves, you know, we could throw around I'm sorry as kind of like a statement of how we feel and kind of, you know, you're still retaining control. You just sort of yeah. say the words, but to ask instead to have to ask, we've made a rule. I have to say when I've wronged you, will you forgive me? And it's like, it's vulnerable. Like it makes me humble myself. And then I have to wait, you know, in silence for your response. And and that means I I really need something from you. I really need your your forgiveness. So we commend that. We commend that to uh to you if you're in a relationship that that may be a blessing to you as well. Let me let me try to just bring this episode to a close. You know, part of what we're trying to say is that there's a stark chasm, a vast chasm, a stark divide between a vision for relationships that is worldly and not of God, and then one that is a beautiful gospel vision that Jesus provides for us uh, in the scriptures. You know, I heard this quote yesterday, and it was, a marriage is like real estate. It's the house you built, and sometimes your tastes change. Oh, and I thought, oh, that is so depressing. You know, and how could you ever have any confidence, any trust, any hope, in this fickle, broken, changing world, uh, I'm just so on my knees grateful that with God, marriage and all of our relationships are called to be something so much grander than that. One of my favorite stories that always sticks with me is about how one of my best friend's parents first started dating. His uh, mom had just gone through a terrible season of life and her girlfriend, her friend suggested going on a road trip together. And so they're road tripping in this convertible, wind blown, no makeup, just divorced, eight months pregnant, an emotional wreck, okay? And happens to bump into my friend's dad. And right there in that conversation, he asked her to coffee. <laughs> and that was their first date. And uh, years later, my friend remembers saying to his dad after he, you know, had heard the details of the story, he said, Dad, mom must have looked terrible. What were you thinking? And I think there's a lot of wisdom and beauty in his dad's response. He looked at his son and he said, well, I wasn't looking for someone perfect. I was looking for someone I could love. And thank 
God that he wasn't looking for someone perfect. He was looking for someone he could love for you and for me, and not because of what he needed from us, but because of what he could give to us. You know, in this Valentine's Day, let us find joy in extending to another the same wonderful grace that we have received. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for being with us on Ask Away. Keep listening to hear how you can send us your questions. We love receiving them. And happy Valentine's Day. We're so glad you joined us for Ask Away. If you have a question that needs answering, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email at askawayquestion at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at 321-213-9670. Ask Away is hosted by Vincent Joe Vitali and produced by Studio D Podcast Production. New episodes come out regularly, so make sure to subscribe. The best way you can support Ask Away is to leave a review. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ask Away, scroll down until you see Write a Review and tell us what you think. See you next time. And remember, if you have a question, it's worth asking.